and welcome to another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Today, I am so excited to have Helen Fanucci. How are you, Helen? I'm doing great. That is fantastic. Let me tell you a bit more about her. She is an MIT-trained engineer who has built her reputation and career managing teams responsible for billions, not millions, but billions of dollars of quota. She developed the Love Your Team system of sales management over a 25-year career on the front lines of top tech companies, including Apple, Sun Microsystems, IBM, and Microsoft. She is the author of Love Your Team, a survival guide for sales managers in a hybrid world, which just launched on November 1st. And she also hosts the Love Your Team podcast, which focuses on retaining top talent and building high-performing teams. How did you start your career as an engineer and get to managing billion-dollar teams? Really great question. So when I graduated from MIT, I worked for IBM as a manufacturing engineer, and I was in Silicon Valley. And I didn't, you know, with all of the innovation happening and startups happening, I realized that I wanted to be out helping customers use technology for business value rather than being in the back room making the technology. So I was able to transition to a marketing role, go through IBM sales training, and then have a sales territory. So that's how I made the transition. And that was honestly pretty early in my career. And from there, I've just, I've led teams. I've worked in sales in Europe, lived and worked in Europe, and you know done a number of different things in my career. And with the size and scale of the companies I've worked for, Sun Microsystems and Microsoft, you know, I've had, as I said, multi-billion dollar quotas and um, have overachieved those. But it's really, it's just the size and scale of companies like Microsoft are awesome. And what really matters, though, is making an impact with my team and with customers and delivering business value. Hmm. So I'm going to take you down memory lane just a little bit. When you first stepped your toe into sales and you said you went through an IBM sales training program, what are some things that you remember from that sales training program a few decades ago? Yeah, so it was a year and a half program at the time. So we would go to Dallas for three or four weeks at a time and then come back and do homework and things like that. So first and foremost, I met one of my today best friends. Her name is Jeanette, and we've stayed friends you know, throughout the years. And what I really learned is how critical it is to team up with others. So we had projects and we had to do proposals and teaming up with others in class was a really great model that has served me well also in my career because you know sales isn't really an individual sport, particularly in business to business selling. And you've got to be able to mobilize resources across the team and across the company to deliver your best proposal for the customer and to really be able to solve the challenges that they're facing, which is why they're talking to you about what you're selling. Mm, I think that it's so impactful that, you know, a few decades ago, because even when I started in sales, we had a little bit more formal sales training. Um, They allowed you 18 months to ramp up. Right. Because 18 months is literally what they said. We're going to train you. You go do this. You go through that. You come back. You build your quota. And the biggest takeaway for you, which I think is so fantastic, is 
that I built this camaraderie ship, right? And so in this world where it's still very remote, salespeople don't have that sense of community, right? So how did you take what happened in your role and that teaming mentality? And how did that help you in your early career as a sales manager? That's a great question. So when I say that, you know, you've got a team across functions, you know, I, my first quota carrying role was with IBM. So IBM and some of the larger companies I've worked for have a lot of resources relative to small companies. So with IBM specifically, you have technical sellers, so you have marketing people that will sometimes do some things. You have licensing and pricing specialists that help put together a proposal. So you have these different disciplines of expertise. And if you're not working with them and trying to do it all yourself, one, you can't really get the best proposal for the customer because there's likely things that you're going to miss. Nobody can know everything. And yeah, it may take a bit longer to pull it all together, but it actually drives more impact. Early in my career, and again, I'm in technology, I thought that I needed to know everything. Like I was afraid to go into meetings and have a customer ask a question about a product and go, oh, well, I don't know. Let me get back to you. And I thought, you know, particularly being an engineer, I should like know everything. And then I realized how absurd that is. Technology is moving so fast. Nobody can know everything. And I just let that go. And that, I got to tell you, was so freeing. And it also freed me up to say, okay, who are resources? Who knows you know, what is needed here that I may not know that I can bring in to talk to the customer, whether it's, I don't know, depth of Microsoft, or excuse me, at the time, IBM financing or you know, various product database or whatever the technology is that the customer was interested in. Mm, not having to know everything. This is a concept that salespeople today still suffer with, right? They think that they have to know everything. And as a defense mechanism, when they don't know everything is they just start telling you all of the wrong things, all the random bits and pieces, right? But organizations, and I've worked with, you know, organizations of various sizes and the ones that get that you can have a, a frontline kind of salesperson, you can have a technical specialist, you can have an inside salesperson. Like you have to split those roles up because there's no super human sales right? Like you align people with their strengths. And so when you have that teaming aspect, you really get people to operate in their realm of excellence all day long, all the time. Yeah, I think it, that's exactly right. The other thing that is really undermines a seller's effectiveness is to make stuff up and talk about things that they don't know about. Because foundational to selling is really to be able to build trust with a customer. Because everything that we sell today in technology is complex. And so a buyer on the other side of the screen or table, whether it's virtual or not, they're trying to make sure that they don't create career risk for themselves by making a bad purchase. So they've got to vet the solution. They've got to trust the seller. They've got to trust the seller's company. So if you end up talking about stuff that you really don't know anything about, it can really undermine your credibility. And that's, I think, a mistake that some sellers might be making. Mm. 
So as you started growing in your career, you didn't have like this very straight path, right? It wasn't like, okay, I'm an engineer, now I'm a salesperson, now I'm going to be a sales manager, and then I'm moving straight up the chain. You had some zigzags in there. Tell us about those zigzags you had in your career. Yeah, you bet. So I actually got out of sales for a while. When my kids were three and six, I ended up getting divorced, and I ended up having sole custody of my kids and sole financial accountability. And I was working for Sun Microsystems at the time, and I decided to move more into a marketing role because I was concerned that, you know, if you're in sales and you have this really big proposal or customer meeting, well, what was I going to do if my kids got sick and I needed to work from home or I couldn't go to that meeting? And marketing, I think, sometimes can give you more degrees of freedom because a lot of the work happens to be internally and it's less time critical. So I made that choice to be able to have a bit of um, stress relief, I guess, even though it's really hectic having small children and trying to hold it all together. And literally, some days I just wanted to survive. Like, mm. if there was something that went south, I thought, okay, I don't have a lot of degrees of freedom or reinforcements. I've got to figure this out on my own. And then as I got older, I felt like I could do more. And so I went back into sales. And by the way, during the time that I wasn't in sales, I went into management positions. I ran Sun's Executive Briefing Center. And then I went into sales roles and sales leadership roles. So it was a little bit of a zigzag, but it's enabled me to kind of round out my career by doing sales operations, leading marketing teams, being responsible for marketing for a $1.5 billion business, um, leading international teams, leading domestic teams. Most of my teams have had some form of remote and in-person you know, in the office, so hybrid teams managing performance remotely. So all of the kind of permutations that come with management, I've probably experienced. And that's, I think, given me a lot more strength in my leadership and also my approach with my team. Mm, I love that you have this multifaceted um, experience, right? Like you were like, I need to make a decision for myself and my family. And I think that many times what women do is, so you said, I can do something kind of slightly like sales, which is marketing. A lot of times they may say, I just have to get out of this world altogether. And it actually hurts us, right? It hurts our career because we keep hopping around and we're going from place to place. And then we can never jump into management and we can't get into leadership. But you said, I'm going to go into marketing. Oh, and now I'm going to become a marketing manager. And now I'm going to keep climbing that ladder and then come back into sales and I can keep going over. So the experience that you had in marketing, how did that impact how you led your sales team when you went back into sales? Yeah, that's really a great question. Well, one is to make sure that there's line of sight between what marketing is doing and the sales result. So, and that's tricky because attribution of marketing campaigns to qualified leads to close business is really tough. And anyone who leads marketing, that's kind of like the holy grail. So when I've worked with marketing teams, particularly in, now in my current role, I work a lot with uh, channel 
leaders for partners. And so there's a lot of marketing programs. Um, there's funding that we can tap into. There's things, and you've got to really sift through that to see what's going to move the needle and the results you're trying to achieve and what partners can help, what programs can help. And so you've got to be judicious about how you select and where you focus your team. And then frankly, the things that aren't going to move the needle or maybe aren't strong enough in terms of the content for your customers, you might need to swizzle it and customize it for your customers and or maybe you don't use it. So it's really kind of having that lens of what's going to be customer value add is critical. And, you know, I've gone back to the marketing teams and I've said, you know, this isn't quite meeting the mark. Here's what we need. And they're not as close to the customer. So I just kind of take it for granted that we're going to have to often do a little bit of our own customization and that's okay. But you understand it, right? And so you're not like, marketing, you're doing this wrong. None of your stuff is working. We can't give it to customers, which is so, you know, in organizations, I say that sales and marketing should be like peanut butter and jelly, but a lot of times they're like oil and water. Um, And (laughs) we all are here for the greater good of the company. We're all here for the same goal and the same purpose. Yes, that's right. And also just being frank and say, you know what, this doesn't meet the mark or here's what I would like, do you have this? Like I have some things that I have unsolved problems. So then I'm like, okay, marketing, can you help solve this problem? Do you have a partner that does these things? Because we could sure use it. And, you know, maybe they do, maybe they don't. But yeah, I do that too. Hmm. As your career kept progressing, there was a moment in time where you had a pivotal moment. Tell us about this pivotal moment in your career. Let me put it this way. It's kind of a motivation for writing my book. Ah, And so I've been on the receiving end of what I would call traditional sales management, and I don't love it. And I've also had excellent sales management above me, and that's been super supportive. And in fact, when I had my small children and the flexibility afforded to me when I was in the marketing role was super fantastic. And so my manager left and I pursued a role, uh, his job, and I didn't get it. And, you know, there's some things that transpired that were less than what I'd say perfect from being a employee centric response to me not getting that job. So, uh, you know, for example, I got informed that I didn't get the job through a formulaic email from HR, which didn't really feel great as an employee who's been at Microsoft for a number of years. I was um, just kind of seeing the approaches that I was experiencing and just thinking about it. And I knew, I know that the way that I manage and focusing on my team and caring about my team and thinking about my team as individuals with lives, career, is super important. And I've experienced that kind of management as well. But so it kind of motivated me to, you know, I think I should write a book, particularly right now, post pandemic, where employees are expecting a level of flexibility to work remote, they're not going into the office. And one of the things that pandemic did is it kind of leveled the playing field, we're all the same little box on the video screen. And so 
I thought, you know what? I can show another way to manage salespeople and it doesn't have to be in person. It doesn't have to be in the office. And so it was kind of a motivating factor, shall I say, when I didn't get the promotion to the next level, um, the next job. And I felt like I had, you know, a positive, relevant message. So it motivated me to write the book. Mm. So using something that most people would consider an adversity. And again, we talked about you know, being looked over for a promotion or not look at being looked over from promotion, having personal challenges that cause you to say, okay, I'm just leaving the organization. I'm just going to go find another job. I'm just going to do something else. And you very well could have done that, right? You could have said, they didn't want to promote me, but instead of just leaving, instead of walking away, I'm going to use what happened to me as a factor, a motivating factor to help others so that other people don't have to experience this. So I can help other leaders. And so tell us about the book that you wrote. Give us a general gist of um, what it's about. Yeah, it's really a handbook, a guide for sales managers leading teams. Um, There's 17 conversations because when I reflected on what I actually do as a sales leader, sales manager, it's really conversations with my team. So the first conversation is how do you introduce yourself to a new team? And I have been on the receiving end of managers being really poor at that. It's an opportunity to build trust with your team, to talk a little bit about yourself, but also talk about your leadership approach and style and your principles and what matters to you from a business point of view. So your team knows how to interact with you and how to communicate with you and what what you value. And so that first chapter really is all about, that first conversational chapter is all about how you introduce yourself to your team. And I do a how-to. I have three slides, one slide about me, my career, my family, a few fun facts like where I like to travel, my favorite thing to eat, that kind of thing. My second slide is my leadership principles. So clarity of outcomes and objectives, that everyone has clarity about what they're expected to do. I talk about how I value culture and communication. People first. I'm a people first manager. Because if we as individuals, human beings, have something going on, we can't show up well for our customers or our work. And so I check in with my team. And that was particularly important during COVID when everybody had something going on, whether it's homeschooling or people who are sick. So that's another principle. And then, you know, no surprises. Tell me, you know, what's going on. Bad news needs to travel fast as well as good news. No surprises. So things like that. And then the third slide is really what's next, how to communicate with me. I'm going to have one-on-ones with everybody. And you can do that if your team is maybe 15 people or less of direct reports. And then when I have managers working for me, I'll try to meet with their team, so a skip level, like once a quarter if I can. And that, again, depending on the size. But I tell people, you don't have to prepare for the one-on-one. I just want to get to know you. And then I also talk about how I'll establish a regular cadence of one-on-ones with my team. And that's really where I learn about what's going on. And it's an opportunity for them to get help. But I also 
you know, make myself available. I give them my cell phone number. Text me if you need something, I'll be available to you. So it's those kinds of things, but it's all about them, not about me and how I'm your new manager. See how great I am. You know, it's not about me. It's about them. So it really sounds like this is an amazing book because you teach managers how to be humans. <laughs> it's like, okay, you're, you're, you don't hide behind your dashboards and your reports. Like, let me be a human. And even though it's funny and we're like, oh, that's easy. It's really not, right? Because as a manager, you have all those pressures from up above to do these things. You have this whole team. Like you said, do I have 15 direct reports? Do I have 10? Am I managing managers? And it's like, how do I handle all these things? So really having a, a quick guidebook that you can flip to, okay, I'm going to conversation five because this is what I'm handling today. This is what's affecting my team, my organization today. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, I wanted it to be focused, practical, and effective for people. I also have, you know, conversational skills. Like, you know, job one for a sales leader is build trust with your team. Build a relationship and trust with your team. And that's job one, because you also need your team to do that with customers. And so I modeled the behavior that I want to see from them with their customers. And I think about my sellers as being my number one customer. Absolutely. I did an exercise a couple months ago and we were talking about the voice of the customer's customer. And I was like, hey, sales managers, you know who your customer is? Your customer is your employees. It's your salespeople. And really... Thinking about it the way that you said is so important. When you would go to a discovery call with a salesperson, I mean, with a customer, what do you do? You listen, you get to know them. You don't just talk about yourself. It's the same thing, sales manager. Don't just talk about yourself. You listen. And really flipping that switch to treating your, your employees just as good as you would treat a customer, right? Doing the same, putting those same things into your brain and helping them understand that, hey, just because you report to me doesn't necessarily mean I'm up here on this ivory tower. Like you said, I give them my cell phone number, text me, call me, email me, be accessible. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, the other thing that's really important is I want to have my sellers be the focus of attention. So for example, when we're, we have to go through the to the deal review board for special pricing or asking for resources for a customer deal. My seller is the one doing the presentation. I'm in the background, my video's off, I take notes, I take action items, and it, this does three things. One is it gives my seller visibility to senior executives who are making the decision on the pricing or concessions for a customer, the resource investment. Two, my seller can be present in the room. They don't have to worry about action items. And number three, I debrief with them after the presentation to see, okay, did we achieve our objectives? What was the feedback? What do we need to do next? You know, what worked, what didn't work? And it's really, again, putting the focus on them to help build their career and confidence. And again, I don't have it be about me because I think it's them that amplifies my success. It's not me doing it. And because I have, if I'm not using my team to the fullest and helping them be successful, like what am I doing as a sales manager? Mm. 
you shine through your team. Like having, it's just like when you, you see your kids doing something amazing. It's how you want the people on your team to be because they are a reflection of you. So as they're, you know, hitting their quota, moving up the ladder and, you know, strong leaders, they're like, I want the people who work for me to exceed me. I want you to go on and do more things than me. I want you to take what I taught you and really take it and tune it up a notch and tune it up a notch and get more excellent because it just shows how good of a coach, of a leader, of a people developer that you are. Right, exactly. In fact, three of my sellers are now first level managers. And then that also makes me an attractor of talent because people want to work for managers where their sellers move on to the next level. Mm-hmm, absolutely. They see that. They're like, oh, okay, this person develops people. They're getting promotions. They're hitting the leaderboard. They're closing, like they're doing things. And we know no person exists as an island. So what's the the clay? How are they getting there? It's because their leadership is taking an active interest in them and their career. Yeah, you bet. Absolutely. So tell us if somebody wants to get a copy of your book and get in touch with you, what is the one best way? Yeah, so here's my book. Can you see it? All right, there you go. All right, super. So I'm on LinkedIn. That's the best way. Helen Finucci on LinkedIn. My book, Love Your Team, A Survival Guide for Sales Managers in a Hybrid World is on Amazon. It's available now. So that would be the call to action here. Buy the book, reach out. Um, You know, I'd love to know how your audience, the listeners, what they think of the book because I've gotten great feedback. Some of the feedback's been surprising. I got feedback that actually this is a great book for aspiring managers for millennials, and I hadn't thought about that. And I got also great feedback that the conversational skills I outline in the third part of the book that kind of underpin the the conversations, the, the skills of having a conversation are super valuable for people who are just out of college who are going into the work world. So there's applicability, I think, more broadly than I envisioned. And I hope, you know, and I hope it's valuable for others. That's my intent. That is awesome. That is awesome, 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 amazing. Having a book, then people read it and they're just like what you're doing with your team. Like I made this, but now you take it and do all these different things with it. I think that's fantastic. Thank you. So as we wrap up, I did, I always do things a little bit out of order because, you know, hey, it's my podcast. So as we wrap (laughs) up, (laughs) I want to ask you, what is an experience in your career or in your life that has changed the way that you lead? When I was leaving engineering and I was moving into a marketing role for IBM, I accepted a role in Los Angeles and I was living in Silicon Valley at the time. And I accepted the job and agreed to move to LA. And I went down to LA and then I realized, oh my goodness, I can't move to LA. It's just not where I want to be. And so I called up my manager and I said, I can't move to LA. It just isn't going to work for me. And I thought, okay, I don't have the job anymore. I'm not going to be working for IBM anymore. I'm out on the street. I had no idea what the consequence would be. And I was in my early 20s at the time. And he said, okay, great. We'll figure out how to make this work where you can live in Silicon Valley and do the job remotely and come down to Los Angeles. There was some travel meeting with customers anyway, so that doesn't really matter where you're located. But that 
compassion or empathy or just, um, I had changed the rules of the game. I had reneged on the, my commitment to move down there and he figured out a way to make it work. And I'm so grateful for that. And I think that that's shaped kind of my approach to leadership and being very team first and trying to figure out how to make things work for my team. Because I know if it's working for them, then they're going to be motivated to do a great job. And so I, I would say that was hugely impactful. And that happened literally right at the start of my career when I was transitioning out of engineering. Wow. So first, I think that the big thing is you actually spoke up for yourself. You were your own advocate. You didn't just move to LA and get miserable. And like I said, I, I talk about this all the time because there's what the, I like to call this quiet quitting where people get demotivated and disinterested and they're working, but they're not really there. Um, you could have easily done that, right? You could have easily said, yeah, I don't like this. I got to get back to where I want to be. But you spoke up for yourself. You advocated for yourself and your boss had the compassion, the empathy, the intel to know that this is a valuable employee. And so I want to retain her. And in order to retain her, I'm going to make this work. And so kudos to whoever that boss was and kudos to seeing a young Helen who said, I'm speaking up for myself. Thank you. I really appreciate that. But yeah, that was pivotal for me for sure. That's amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Helen. This was a very delightful conversation and I will be reading your book and definitely recommending it to the leaders that I work with because those conversations are always hard and having a guidebook on how to speak salesperson easier. We can say that. How to speak their language easier <laughs> um, is definitely a resource that everyone can use. So thank you again for your time, your talent, and your expertise today. Thank you for having me. I so appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. And that was another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. So in all that you do, remember each and every day, do one thing to transform your sales. Until next time.